Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion, to which our community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to expand in faith, hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because they anchor us in something which can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. Cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. Good morning, Genesis. The scripture for today is from Genesis chapter 21, verses 8 through 21. The child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, playing with her son Isaac. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not inherit along with my son Isaac. The matter was very distressing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Do not be distressed because of this boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for it is through Isaac that offspring shall be named for you. As for the son of the slave woman, I will make a nation of him also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder, along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she cast the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, Do not let me look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Do not be afraid, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Come, lift the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. She went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and he became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran and his mother got a wife for him from the land of Egypt. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, uh, this passage is one of my favorite in all of the scriptures. And I hope I don't say that too often. <laughs> I probably do. But uh, last Sunday, like last Sunday with the character Sarah, the main character in this week's scripture portion is also a woman, Hagar. But unlike last Sunday, the woman in this week's story, Hagar, has more in common with June Osborne of The Handmaid's Tale. Uh, Let me explain. So before we deal with the events in this week's scripture portion, in Genesis 21, uh, when we talk about Hagar's banishment to the wilderness, 
and her meeting with God there, we need to understand the backstory found in Genesis 16. You always need to understand the context for when something's going to happen, especially when it deals with this kind of oppression. So the backstory is this. Hagar is Sarai's or Sarah's female slave, basically. She's the person that takes care of her, does whatever she wants. She is literally a slave of Abraham and Sarah. She's Egyptian. And the name Hagar is really interesting. The name Hagar means foreigner or alien. Basically, Hagar means the other. So here's a question that uh, I read about in this beautiful book called uh, The Womanist Midrash. And the question was, what kind of mother would name her daughter the other or the foreigner or the alien? And the answer is, of course, there is no mother that would name her daughter the alien. Hagar had a name. We don't know what Hagar's name was when she was born, but we can almost be certain that that whoever her mother was, who we don't know and won't ever know, uh, did not name her Hagar. So she had a name. The name Hagar is not her name. It's her category in this story. Like the handmaids whose names in the handmaid's tale were made up of two words, of and then the commander's name, Offred, of Stephen, of Warren. If you haven't seen Handmaid's Tale, I'm not necessarily recommending it because it is gruesome. But if you want to understand the nature of Hagar's relationship with Sarah, Handmaid's Tale is pretty close to what Hagar's relationship would have been. Hagar is a slave of Abraham and Sarah, and she has no say about her body being given to Abraham to produce a son for him. She has no say about her child eventually, which is born, named Ishmael, being given to Sarah. She has one source of power, and that is she is fertile. And it's set against the infertility of Sarah. Right, And that's why Sarah laughed in last week's because it seemed so ridiculous that a woman of her age, well into her 80s, would have a child. And I loved Allie's juxtaposition of lamenting and laughter. We lament what's really, really wrong in our world. We lament what we desire but don't have. And then we place hope in God's ridiculous, audacious, almost laughable ability to come through when God, uh, when it seems like there's no way that God will ever come through. So I want to say that the story of Hagar found here in Genesis 16 and then in Genesis 21 as well is a universal story. It's the story about what happens when a system of power exploits the bodies of the other, the Hagar, for their own gain. Of course, there's lots of current examples of this happening. And by the way, I'm listening to a podcast these days that I'm finding so fascinating. It's called Seeing White. 
And I highly recommend it as a really understandable journey of the construction of whiteness, the exploitation of bodies, not only black, but Native American, and just sort of why we ended up in the system that we ended up with. Because I want to say that white supremacy is not just a bunch of people walking around in white hoods that are overtly racist. It's a system that exploits the other for the gain of one kind of person. And that system exists whether you agree with it or not. And this story of Hagar is this universal example of what happens when a system of power exploits the body of the other for their own gain. So I think there's lots to learn here. So, but the first all play question, um, I want us to use our imagination. So remember, this, this name Hagar is really, I want to argue, a category and not an actual name. So for this first all play question, let's imagine together, what do you think Hagar's name really was? Just use your imagination. Go for it. What do you think Hagar's name really was? And what do you think she was like as a child? Now, again, this is all pure imagination. But if this person actually existed, then she actually did have a name and she actually did have a childhood. And I think it's one of the fun explorations of what's called midrash uh, to explore the white spaces in between the words in the text. So go ahead and use the comments to imagine what do you think Hagar's name really might have been and what do you think she was like as a child? Well, thanks for engaging with those comments. Um, and um, I can only imagine uh, the beautiful names that you guys came up with and the depictions of what Hagar may have been like as a child. And I just want to wonder about what is it like, like now that you did that exercise, just for a, a minute or two, what's it like to humanize the other rather than dehumanize the other? And that's the real trick. Climbing out of any system of oppression or any uh, way that we might other a person or a group of people, the really the pathway to doing that is to humanize them instead of dehumanizing them. Now, I think one of the great examples these days is in terms of just the political spectrum, Republicans, Democrats, conservatives, progressives, and of course we have liber libertarians and others in there as well. But I think almost more than any other category, especially for primarily white people, there is the uh, ability and propensity to other the person that thinks differently than you do politically. And sometimes we can get really, really self-righteous and really, really certain about our position to the point that we scapegoat the other person and put them into a category. We don't allow the person with whom we disagree to have a real name, a human name. We put them in a category, bigot. Um, liberal, whatever, you know, um, um, self-righteous, closed-minded, 
um, I was called fascist this week. <laughs> I mean, amazing, right? And so um, uh, I, I think the journey, one of the journeys that this story invites us to do is to work really hard at listening to the other until we can discover their name and even imagine what were they like as a child like if you have an argument with someone on facebook and you're so mad and you're just ready to just dismiss them totally like it might be helpful to imagine them as a four-year-old you know what I mean? Like instead of imagining them as a category, imagine them as a four-year-old with a name, a nickname. And that helps us climb out of othering or scapegoating. So back to the story, um, back to the story of Hagar. Abram and Sarai were unable to have children, even though God promised them that they would be the father and mother of a new nation of God's people, the children of Israel. So Sarai told Abram, uh, and this is Genesis 16, verse 2. We're still in the backstory. Uh, you see that the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Now, that's an interesting uh, characterization, right? Like back then, it was just assumed that it was the woman's fault. The woman was at fault if there was infer infertility. So that's a whole different sermon, or maybe not. But we're not going to go there too much right now. You see that the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Now go into my slave girl. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. Now, this is where you see the exploitation of the other by a person of power. She doesn't see Hagar as a person with, with agency. She sees Hagar as a vehicle to get what she wants. That is what any kind of system of oppression is based on is seeing a person as less than human so that you can use them to get what you want that's any system of oppression that's what it's based on and built on so abraham or abram listened to the voice of sarai genesis 16 verse 2 and uh, began having sexual relations with hagar now we can imagine, again, Hagar has no choice in that matter. So we do not know the nature of what those relations uh, would have been like, but they were non, that was non-consensual. Um, so call that what that is. And that's in the biblical story. And then we have to wrestle with that. What does that mean about God? What does that mean about God's people? What does that mean about the, the nature of the times? Um, and that is a difficult question to wrestle with, but we can't just move on without naming that, okay? So when Hagar became pregnant, and she did, uh, Sarai became really jealous, and so she beat her. And then we see Hagar take matters into her own hands, and she does what the only thing that she can do, and she runs away. Now, it also says in the text that Hagar um, looked unfavorably on Sarai like because th there was something going on there that's really interesting so this person without a name without a history finally has we, we, we get a window into what she's feeling and the text clearly says that she looks upon Sarai as sort of like worthless or less than and of course you would um, based on the kind of treatment that Sarai did to her right 
Regardless, she beat her and Hagar ran into the wilderness to die, basically. And a messenger comes to Hagar. Uh, and anytime you hear, especially in the Hebrew scriptures, the word angel, anytime you read angel, really all that means is messenger. So sometimes that's a heavenly person, sometimes that's a human being, sometimes it's a burning bush. But uh, that, that means that the messages of God can come to us in many, many ways. Amen? Many, many ways. So a messenger of God comes and finds Hagar, and this messenger asks Hagar two questions. The first one is, where have you come from? The second one is, where are you going? And Hagar responds with just a few words. She says, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. Now, here's another all play question, okay? The, remember, the messenger asks her two questions. Where have you come from and where are you going? And Hagar answers, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. So use the comments to answer this question. What do you notice about Hagar's answer? What do you notice about Hagar's answer? Well, I think there's a lot to notice about Hagar's answer, and uh, I can only imagine the responses that you all gave. The first thing I notice about Hagar's answer is that it's utterly honest. And uh, again, this is an observation that I got from Womanist Midrash by Will Gaffney. Uh, she's a theologian and um, amazing person who does, the, especially the Hebrew scriptures with Midrash, African-American woman amazing. But anyway, the first thing I noticed is that her response is utterly honest. There's not a lot of words there. There's not a lot of justifications or explanations. It's just the honest response. And it makes me wonder, what happens when you have the courage to be utterly honest with God about your situation? Right? No platitudes, no cliches, no over explanations, just the utter honest truth. Have you ever had a moment like that where you were so like broken or hurt or angry that you were so utterly honest? I remember one time, I'm embarrassed to say this, I was about 30 years old and I'd interviewed for a job and there's this long interview process and I really wanted this job. It was out in Southern California, my place is where I, the place where I was, where I was raised and I just, I wanted it so bad and it felt like God was leading me into this. I was sure of it and it got down to two candidates and I was not picked. They picked the other candidate and when I got that phone call, I was heartbroken and I was at work at the time. I hung up the phone and went to my house, which is just a couple miles away. And I remember sitting in my living room. And I remember I was sitting on the floor pointing at my green ottoman, which we still have. And this is 30 or this is 20 years ago. I remember saying, okay, God, the ball's in your court now. <laughs> I've done everything I know how to do. I've followed your voice. I went all the way. Now the ball's in your court. So that was my response of, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. The ball's in your court. And that's a funny, I mean, an embarrassing story. On the other hand, I think that was my honest response, and I believe God honored it. I believe there was a way in which, there's a way in which 
when we're just utterly honest and the varnishes, uh, the, the facades go away, uh, God can meet us. And there are multiple examples in the scriptures of times where big time characters get really angry with God and they end up saying things that sound like ludicrous, right? But then God responds in a way with honesty. And I love that. So that's the first thing I notice. The second thing I notice is that Hagar knows where she's been. I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, but she doesn't answer where she's going. And whenever a character in the scripture doesn't answer where they're going, that should lift our mind into a kind of midrash imagination. Like, oh man, what, where is she going for real, right? Where is she going for real? And so, and this is the definition of being in the wilderness, is that you know you're in the wilderness when you don't know where you're going, even though you know where you've come from, okay? That's the wilderness. You, you know where you've come from, but you don't know where you're going. And so Hagar ends up meeting God. We're still back in Genesis 16. I promise we'll get to Genesis 21. I promise, I promise, I promise. But uh, Hagar meets God who sends her back to Sarai and Abram. Oh, like painful, painful. Why doesn't God, you know, send her somewhere else where she can be safe? Why does God do this? And I don't have the answer to that. Ah, it's like one of these things of like, what happens when um, the very thing that you are trying to escape from, you get sent back to? Oh, oh, oh. And I know this, this is what kind of prompts everyone to say, well, it's God's will. Man, I just want to say this is one of the hard parts of Scripture, and I don't know what to do with it. Regardless, before God sends Hagar back, God says that she's going to be a mother to many people, which is essentially him, God, her, him, saying to Hagar that she's going to survive, that no matter what happens, Sarai's not going to kill her. She's going to survive. And so Hagar goes back, but not before Hagar names God. Hagar says... You are the God who sees. And Hagar is the only person in all of scriptures to give God a name. This person with no name, the other, Egyptian slave who gets eventually kicked out of the camp, is the one person who names God. What does that say about how God interacts with the other? Come on, people. Come on. Now, I also want to say, remember last week, because it's easy right now to cast Sarai or Sarah and Abram or Abram as the absolute villain. Now, they're the ultimate. They're the bad guys. They're the power. And they made some really rough decisions, and we don't want to let them off the hook for that. But God also meets them in their reality. God does deliver them Isaac. God is faithful to them. God does rename them. And so it's impossible, even in this story, to dehumanize or demonize now Abraham, Abraham or Abraham and Sarai and Sarah. It's really, really tough, even though now maybe we want to. Whew. Okay. So now let's get to Genesis 21. Sarah demands that Abraham... Now, okay, so here's the reality. Sarah now has a son, Isaac. 
and she sees Ishmael playing and all of a sudden her mind is going and she demands that Abraham throw Hagar and Ishmael out of the camp. Abraham's upset. He doesn't want to do it. But again, oh, in the scriptures we read, God tells him to go ahead and do it. So Genesis 21 verse 12, but God said to Abraham, do not be distressed because of the boy Ishmael and because of your slave woman. Doesn't even, in, again, on one level, I like that God doesn't use Hagar, the other, your slave woman, I don't like, but at least God doesn't call Hagar the other. Um, let's see, uh, whatever Sarah says to do, do as she tells you, ah, for it is through Isaac that offspring shall be named for you. Ooh. As for your son of the slave woman, Ishmael, I will make a nation of him also, because he is your offspring. Right, so again, let's not be too quick to dehumanize because God doesn't. God's going to make a nation out of Isaac, but God's also going to make a nation out of Ishmael. And this is a big confrontation to any dualistic thinking that we might have that says there's got to be a good guy and there's got to be a bad guy. Whew. So when let's move on in verse 15. When the water and the skin was gone, so Abram goes ahead and kicks Oh, kicks Hagar and Ishmael out of the camp. They go to the wilderness. He gives her and them a skin of water. That's it. And that water's gone. And now when the water in the skin was gone, this is verse 15, Genesis 21. She cast the child Ishmael under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, do not let me look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. Ah, oh. so Hagar, she's back out in the wilderness. Again, she thinks she's going to die. So the question is, how does God respond? Remember, this is a universal story of anyone who's ever been exploited by a system of power to just use their bodies to get what they want. How does God respond when the other, the Hagar, has lost everything and is about to lose her only Son, how does God respond when human beings lift up their voices and weep? How does God respond? It reminds me of Exodus, uh, chapter the end of chapter one, when God hears the cries of God's people who are moaning and groaning out in their slavery. And God says, I will come and rescue you. You know, now again, it's easy for us to put ourselves in the 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 children of Israel and sometimes we are but sometimes we're the people that enslave people as well and we need to be open to the fact that God hears the cries of all oppressed people and God responds and God heard verse 17 the voice of the boy and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her what troubles you Hagar do not be afraid for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is ah Come, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. Whew. What does it mean when you're about to die in the wilderness to all of a sudden see water or you didn't see water before? What does that even mean? The eternal waters of life are now flowing where you thought there was only death. Whew. She went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy. 
and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother got a wife for him from the land of Egypt, and they survived. This story is on so many levels beautiful, and on so many levels, there's so many questions about fairness and justice. But I think one of the main things it teaches us, you guys, is the great challenge of our time is to listen to the voice of the other until they're no longer a category. Listen to the voice of the other until you can realize they have a name. They have a childhood, they have a future, they have a present, they have pain, they have hopes, they have hurts. This is one of the most difficult things we will do as human beings is to resist the temptation to categorize someone who doesn't think like you do, who doesn't look like you do, who doesn't believe the same things you do. And instead, now, again, this, this transcends whatever you believe, right? We're not, I mean, we're talking about progressives to conservatives, conservatives to progressive, um, in all number of categories, right? What does it mean to listen to the other until you discover their real name, until you discover and repent of the fact that you have named them a category instead of a human being, and then that you have learned what their actual and real name is, who they really are. Doesn't mean you have to end up agreeing with them. Probably won't. Doesn't mean you have to abandon what you think and believe. Doesn't even mean you sometimes don't get into heated debates. But there is a way to get into a heated debate even in a discussion while refusing to categorize and while insisting on naming someone. So think back to the imagination that we used and what Hagar's name was. Can you use the same kind of imagination when you feel triggered by someone that doesn't believe the same way that you do? Can you employ that same level of imagination? Whoo, people, I hope we can, I hope we can. Amen. Amen. Endings are a place where life is Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If, if you, you find, find yourself, yourself nearby, nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you, if have, you have any questions or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscov.org.